0: A very, very special welcome back to our podcast that has a new name, Andres. Welcome everyone. We are pleased to announce our new rebrand. We are now the Blues on Parade podcast where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. And if you guys didn't notice, we have a new fancy logo. So whatever application you're listening on, whether it's Spotify or Apple Podcasts or any other third-party app, take a look at our new logo. It's pretty it's pretty fucking sick.
1: Um well, hopefully it'll be updated by then.
0: Hopefully, I think it will. Um anyways, Andres, you're here to join me. Obviously, Sama couldn't make it today. Um to say that he's depressed about this defeat would be a complete understatement. And I think I think it's an understatement on all of our parts. Um Andres, just kinda give me your what's your mood like right now?
1: Um kind of like disbelief. Uh in like whatever the word is for having no emotion. No. That's how I feel about this match.
0: Yeah. It's a very numb feeling. Yeah, I mean, it's a fam- it's a feeling familiar to me this season specifically because I'm also a Laker fan. <laughs> it's sort of a double whammy, but yeah, I guess it's very numbing. I mean, look, the the overall um, attitude on football Twitter was was pretty negative when you look at it all the way around. Downbeat on the players, downbeat on the press conference that Tuchel had. We're gonna get to that. Don't worry um just overall the performances in the last two weeks so let's just kind of dive right into it Andres. um a new a different pod format today we're going to review the real match and then we're also going to give our preview and uh some some predictions so um make sure you guys stay tuned we have some bold calls later in this episode but I don't want to spoil it quite yet so uh Chelsea did lose 3-1 to Real Madrid at home in the first leg of the Champions League um we started out with a 3 4 3, Andres. Uh, Mendy and Goal, Christensen, Thiago Silva, and Rudiger are center backs. Dave on, as a left wing back, Reese is a right wing back. Conte and Jorginho chosen in the midfield. Notable that Kovacic was left out. And we also have Mount, Pulisic, and Kai Havertz playing up top. So um, the nitty gritty. We conceded seven goals in the last two matches. Um, I guess we'll just kind of start with Edouard Mendy, um, who was at fault for the third goal, obviously. Um, thinking that he could play out of the back, took a touch way too soft. Not a good idea when the nearest defender to you is also on a yellow card. I feel like that's why Rudy really didn't go all in on that challenge either. Um, but Kendall Higa had a had a really good question, and I kind of want to start this section off with this, Andres. So, at Higa 19 asks, worry about Mendy and his mistakes. Seems like something like this has been a long time coming, but past mistakes were not capitalized on until today. Is this just a bad dip in form for Mendy, or is this really the player he is?
1: (laughs) Well, we've known that Mendy's not comfortable on the ball. Like, Mendy's a shot-stopping keeper. He is not a play-with-the-ball-at-your-feet keeper. I just don't think Mendy realizes that he's just a shot-stopping keeper, and he's been bailed out by poor finishing time and time again, Kendall, he is right. It's been like at least seven times this season that I can think of off the top of my head. And that's just far too many. Mm -hmm. He just needs to understand to get the ball off his feet. Don't try something crazy. And if something crazy happens, just boot it. We don't need him to have a perfect completion percentage or a, an assist as a goalkeeper. Like he just needs to stop goals and not be the reason we get scored on
0: yeah I think I think it comes down to decision making more than anything I'm not I I don't buy the fact that he can't play with his feet I mean you look at you look at his statistics in uh especially when he was in France his long ball completion his overall pass completion was almost identical to Kepa's if not better um and, and and you can go look that up but my whole thing is I think we're realizing now in this new age of goalkeeper Overall, since Manuel Neuer came in and really started playing with his feet, he was really the first goalkeeper to to sort of do that. I mean, of course, he's an extreme example, but I think there's a difference between being a goalkeeper that can pass with time and space and f- pick out the right ball as opposed to a goalkeeper that's good under pressure. And I think we see other goalkeepers that are really good with high-pressing forwards, like, and everyone's going to hate me for saying this, but you look at guys like Al- uh, Allison and Ederson. You know, th- there's constantly... Uh, they're constantly being pressed, and they don't seem to lose the ball nearly as much as Mendy does, and Mendy's been here for a fraction of the time that they have, at least in the Premier League. So I think that there's definitely—it's a a modern goalkeeper issue, I feel like, and maybe this is a part of goalkeeping that does get overlooked a lot. We often look at the passing statistics and think to ourselves, okay, this goalkeeper's really good at playing with his feet— but yeah, what about when you have a 6-1 world-class center forward like Kareem Benzema, who, let's be honest, he makes goalkeepers do this. He forces goalkeepers to make mistakes all the time. He did this to Donnarumma in the last round of the Champions League, and he also did it to Loris Karius in the final. <laughs>
1: That's probably the I, I biggest mean, example. I, I think those two, I'll give you the credit, he forced both of those mistakes. He was no, nowhere near Mendy to make Mendy do that. Like. Mm-hmm. He had to go into a full sprint to get to the ball and he just happened to beat the other two guys, but Yeah, <laughs> I, I it don't was more, know how Mendy messed this up.
0: It was more on Mendy than Benzema. Yeah.
1: So, I, yeah. I don't think Benzema closed down or anything to the point. Mendy Mendy just loose bolt in his head and I, I don't I have zero way of defending the mistake.
0: Yeah. I, I, I don't think there's a there's defending it either. I mean, it's been a hot topic going around, Andres. Um, The whole Keppa versus Mendy argument has reared its head again. A lot of people calling for Keppa to kind of step in and deputize and sort of give Mendy this quote-unquote mental break that we've seen Tuchel talk about before. Talk to me about that,
1: because (laughs) I got a lot to say. (laughs) I mean, the time is not now, because he can have a mental break when the defense lets him down and you let him take a break because it's not on him. But the top four race is alive. Like right now is not the time to experiment with Keppa. Keppa's great, he's a great second fiddle. But you, I'm not putting Keppa in when, when we're in the hot seat, essentially. We yeah. are, Arsenal and Tottenham are breathing down our necks. And we are one foot out the door in terms of Champions League. You need to tell Mendy that qualifying for the World Cup and winning the African Cup of Nations is a thing of the past, and he has to focus on right now. I th- really think that's it. I think you think, that, he's,
0: you think he's caught up in his own success a little bit? Yes, I mean, like 100%. A bit it's hard to He
1: yeah. He's literally done every possible achievement in a career in the past calendar year. It's hard <laughs> not to. He's do done everything but head. win the World Cup. Yeah. God, if they're the first African nation to win it, we'll They'll lose him forever. Yeah. No, it's... I think he's just maybe a little bit... On, this con, what is it? Like, loss of concentration. Like, I am the world's best keeper. I've been the best keeper in form. You stop focusing because things come to you naturally. And then you have a blunder like that but no it is not time for keppa
0: yeah i'm in full agreement with you look the question isn't whether or not we trust keppa because i think it's fair enough to say and this is all credit to keppa the last what 10 matches that we've seen him play 8 to 10 matches he's been solid he's been very reliable he really didn't make any glaring mistakes um and he's been good i think if anything he's raised his stock from last season tenfold um but again, is he a better shot stopper than Mendy? I think that the whole Mendy issue could be resolved simply with better decision making. You gotta know when to just smack the ball and clear it, send it into Rosie if you have to, um, instead of you know trying to play it out every single time. And maybe this is a little tweak that Mendy has to sort of add to his game. He's never played on a top side up until he played with Chelsea. Um, so this is one of those things that is going to shell-shock any goalkeeper that comes from a smaller club to a club Chelsea size. You know, your mistakes are are 10 times worse when you're wearing a Chelsea kit. Um, let's just put it that way. I mean, that's enough about Mendy. I think, I think the other scapegoat that we saw in the first half was Andreas Christensen, Barcelona's Andreas Christensen. Um, look, man, this was the most frustrating aspect of the match for me. Um, two reasons. One, because he kept getting rinsed by Vinicius over and over. And to be fair to Vinicius, he probably should have had a goal when he hit the posts on that on that uh, his very first offered opportunity at goal. He blew by Christensen a few more times, um, and you know it, it pulled Thiago Silva out. Thiago Silva had to go over to his side to for that cover, and Rüdiger was anchored the Benzema. And it just allowed so much other space for runners to come in. And there's just so much discombobulation when that happens. And I think part of the blame could be stuck on Tuchel here because Reese James was specifically instructed to stay forward in the first half. And Tuchel spoke about this. You know, he said that he did, it was his choice to leave Christensen one V one with Vinicius. But the thing that got me more was just the overall performance from him. I mean, it looked hopeless. Absolutely hopeless on the ball and off the ball. Um, you know, he even played Vinicius on side. He was playing maybe ten or fifteen yards behind our back, behind Thiago Silva and Rudiger at one point. Why do we keep playing Andreas Christensen, Andreas? Barcelona's Andreas Christensen.
1: Well, <laughs> I mean, he's still our player. We've had crazy amounts of injury. He's comfortable, more comfortable in a back three than a back four. Lucky for him, we play a back three. In terms of this match, I I called for his substitution at half, and mm-hmm. you're right, Vinicius destroyed him. I still think the fault is on Tuchel, because last season, when we got to similar situations where we knew. The other team was going to have a speedy winger or a speedy option with a threat in behind. Reese James was deployed as the right center back and Aspie was then deployed as the right wing back. And that's how we fought it because Reese James can keep up with any sort of player that is bullet speed with the ball or without it. So has Christensen done well in a back three against wingers that are tricky? Sure. But... We had a plan for this before. We've done it. It's been there. The blueprint was there. Uh, I don't see why. Like, I get Reese James, like you said, his instruction was to get forward. But this isn't a two-leg elimination. And you know that Madrid's only threats are Vinicius and Benzema. Like Ancelotti played Valverde as like a weird center mid right wing hybrid. for crying right. out loud! Like there was you no more threat. did that in El Clasico too. There was no more threat. So yeah. to me, was Christiansen bad? Yeah, but I think this could have been prevented from the very very beginning. From the think, very beginning.
0: I think. I was also frustrated at just like just the overall logic of that matchup. Doesn't if you are gonna say okay, Reese, you're gonna bomb forward. I don't really want you coming back in the first half at least. Doesn't a matchup like Trevor Chaliba make a little bit more sense on that side? Or maybe even shifting Rudy to the right side, who has the pace, who has the physicality, and kind of the nounce to... I mean, I think, look, if you if you have a guy like Rudiger, Mark Vinicius, yeah, there's going to be some shithouse moments. Rudy will probably pick up a yellow along the way, but you can bet your bottom dollar that he's going to knock Vinicius off of his game just with all the shithousery. And I think Trevor Chalaba has a little bit of that in him too, not even to mention just his raw athleticism when you compare it to a guy like Christensen, who really doesn't have...
1: He's sort of a slighter frame, and he's not as quick. Um, I mean, I, I get the, the thought process, but we're, if we're talking form, Chalaba's last three matches haven't been the best individually. Yeah. He's picked up yellows, late tackles, penalties given up. Um, and, and the Rudiger thing... There's a reason why Rudiger only plays on the left. I don't think it's because he wouldn't be good on the right. I just think it's because everyone else would be awful on the left. Like, we Mm -hmm. don't have Ben Chilwell. With no Ben Chilwell, Rudiger needs to stay on the left. Like, that's the only way that we can still do the system because it's either Alonso, Saul, Aspie, or Saar at left wing back right now. Mm -hmm. Like, that's a lot to handle, and luckily Rudiger is a madman and can do it but I don't think anybody else in this roster can. So yeah. that's why I think we're stuck with that choice. Now, I don't think it's the right choice. Again, Reese James, that right center back, should have been the move. It worked every time that it was a a fear of speed or directness, and it got us to two cup finals last season, and we won the Champions League one, and we were gypped out of an FA Cup one. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think... Christensen being taken off at half and and getting like subbed out was the right move. I still put more blame on Tuchel than Christensen himself because the press was also kind of everywhere. So, no matter, damned if you do, damned if you don't, if you're Christensen, if you stay up with Benicius, he's going to beat you. If you stay back, he's going to dribble at you. And again, the press was so all over the place that there was just space for days.
0: Yeah. It wasn't even a press, in my opinion. It was like this half-assed effort to make it look like we were trying to close the ball down. Um, I mean, that's a good transition since we, you know, stuck to the whole Tuchel argument. Um, He had some, how should I say this, extremely harsh words. This is probably his most uh, frustrated, fiery press conference Um, that he's had as of late. So he was asked about our chances in the second leg, um, and he said, quote, we don't have to go to Madrid. We have to go to Southampton. I think this is very, very important we process this. It's crucial we go to Southampton, and I will make sure everyone processes this because if we play like this, we'll lose in Southampton, and then we don't even need to think about the Bernabeu because we'll get hammered at the Bernabeu. Um, He was also asked as a follow-up again what do you think of the second leg? Are you still alive? He said, quote, we are not alive. <laughs> um, look, it was honest. It was brutal. It was a little bit of everything. Um, but look, man, I I agree with Tuchel. I think if we go into, you know, the Southampton match with this kind of mentality, they're going to put four past us. or They'll put three past us especially when they're at home. Um, Andres, I, I kind of want to pose this question to you because I think this is an interesting angle to to kind of throw it at. Is this um, mental fatigue from the international break slash the noise outside of the club? I mean, is it is it having an effect on the players? If we look at everything in context, we, had, we played by far the most matches in England. We've had five cup competitions, injuries, COVID, the Lukaku nonsense. Now there's a war in Ukraine that's impacting the club directly. Is it a lot for these guys to shoulder? I mean, do we kind of give them a pass or where do we kind of stand on that? Because I've seen this argument thrown around a lot in the last 48 hours.
1: I think there is a lot going on outside the club, 100%. I I think it is a lot to expect these players to be completely free of distractions or doubt or or any of those things. I still think that individual mistakes killed confidence in this match. That's what I kind of really break it down to. I think the matchup with Vinicius was an issue. I think the way the second half started just deflated any way of getting back into this game. And I think because of the the uncertainties and all the things going on outside of the pitch, the mental fortitude wasn't there. But I I don't think that's why, I I don't think we were doomed from kickoff. That's what I want to get at. I think the players rally around each other, but when the mistakes came is when it all blew up.
0: A, a part of me wants to say that we're feeling sorry for ourselves, but then again, a part of me also wants to say that we've just become really comfortable with sort of who we are this season, and I feel like there is a lot of what should we call it? I feel like a lot of the players they're not comfortable in the position they're in, but I just think that they're uh, I just think that they're in a position where they just feel like they don't have much going for them at the moment with all the noise and with all this uncertainty surrounding the club. So I don't know. I feel like, I feel like there's a little bit of that involved. Um, Of course it's a, it's a concern, man, because how do you pick these guys up mentally after this? I noticed on social media today, there was maybe three or four players. I saw Reese, I saw Mason Mount, I saw Jorginho, I saw Aspie. They all posted, you know, pretty emotional posts talking about we're going to keep fighting for you guys you know we're going to fight for the badge something along those lines so I think the message was loud and clear post match that Tuchel you know sort of gave these guys and I I think they're I mean they're responding in the right way via social media but I need to see it on the fucking pitch man enough is enough all right so I I I do want to move on to the next section um Let's talk about our lineup. I mean, we started with a 3-4-3 in this game. Um, it obviously didn't work out. You know, we 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 broke down the Christensen situation. Um, Tuchel took him out, out to, at the half. He also took off N'Golo Kante. Um, he brought on Ziyech. He also brought on Kovacic. And then I, I think we looked a little better. We switched to a 4-2-2, um, obviously to fit more attacking players on the pitch, a bit more of an aggressive approach, two players up top. Um, and then we later changed to a 4-2-3-1, which I thought was really interesting. The first time in a long time that we really got to see Kai play the ten, which Andres, you believe, is probably his most natural position. Um, so l- let's talk about formations for a sec. We're getting into our predictions part of the of the of the script here. What kind of formation do you think Tuchel's going to go with uh, at the Bernabeu, and why?
1: I think we need to stick to our guns and go back with the 3-4-3. Three, three. Here's my train of thought. You put Reese James at right center back from the beginning. You put Aspie at right wing back. And you trust that Alonzo knows how to play left wing back still. The difference that I would make, because the thing that kills us is the slow buildup, the passing sideways, especially especially when we're now looking for goals. We can't just fatigue these guys out and wait for the one chance to score. No, we need to press that issue from the beginning is Kovacic for Jorginho. And with this style, you can actually look for the quick counter, look for the quick pass in behind instead of the methodical we pass to the right we pass to the left we pass back until we kind of find one inzy binzy chance at a cross and then Kai Havertz <laughs> cuz he's the only one that seems to be scoring right now does something out of nothing like the Newcastle game it it had to be that way the goal in this one it had to be that way like mm-hmm. we need to to not allow the other team to get settled and i think we had we the thing is, until Benzema scored, and even at 2-0, we had the right approach. I really think we did. I think going in at halftime 2-1, coming back out still in like kind of a 3-4-3-4-2-2-2 hybrid was still going to work once you took out the Christians in peace. So to me, it's that's kind of how we need to go and just be more forward-thinking figure out the press, but I really do think you stick to the 3-4-3. Three, three.
0: All right, so 3-4-3, three, three, who starts in midfield? Kovic is in Kante. So you drop Jorginho? I do. See, I that's where I kind of disagree, and it's going to sound like complete blasphemy that I'm actually electing to drop Conte. But for me, I, I like the way we looked in the 4 triple 2 I think that might be the way to go against Real. I think CFC Ronnie said it best. He said, how about mixing things up a bit, play two up front, load the midfield, and try to think of something for left back. Now, in terms of loading the midfield, I think the more important thing here is width, because if you're looking at Real, um, they're going to be missing Militao, and they're pretty weak in, in terms of their backline uh, aerially. You know, Alaba is not that tall. He's naturally a left back. And then you're probably going to expect a guy like Nacho to come in and deputize a center back. Um I highly doubt they'll pull Casemiro from that midfield because he's arguably their most important midfield player. But um, you're probably going to see Nacho and Alaba. And then if that's the case, Kai Havertz is taller than both of those guys. And if you really get desperate, you could throw Lukaku on again. Now, look, I know he missed his chances in this game, but he got the fucking chances. And that's the thing. If you have a big guy standing in the box and you cross it enough, eventually it's going to find his forehead. (laughs) And you're going to hope that it's Kai's, but... You know, of course, Lukaku is that backup plan. Now, you know, we talked about the aerial ball. If we play that four triple two, you got Ziyech and Mount out wide. You start with Pulisic and Kai up front. It allows Kai to stay in the middle and Pulisic to sort of drift and find the game on his own, play a little bit behind him, or maybe even a little bit ahead of him. Um, and I drop Conte. I put Kovacic and Jorginho in the midfield and I'm going to get to why I pick Kovacic when we get into our most important player section. If that's any sort of sneak peek as to who my most important player going into this match is. But, you know, my logic for going with this is that we had 16 shots in the second half compared to Real's one. Now, I know they were getting tired and they were on the back foot and they were trying to defend and keep that two goal lead. But the point is, we created enough chances, I think, to get an equalizer in the game. Lukaku missed two headers inside of the penalty area. Um, All right. You might give him a pass on the first one because it's his first touch, but the second one has to be on frame. And then Ziyech missed the volley inside the box. Mount missed a really easy opportunity. Dave and Reese James had, you know, two long shots. I think Dave's probably had the better chance of going in. It was a laser beam. But the point is, I just don't think Real know how to cope with two central players. And they also don't know how to cope with height. So I think if we throw them a little combination of two central players, one in Pulisic, who's nimble and has the ability to sort of win us those set pieces and get in and get in between the lines, you know, play a little bit more technical. Then we also have that guy in Kai Havertz who, you know, he's great at pressing up top, but he's also brilliant in the air. And we saw an example of that with his goal against Real. So that's my logic going into it. Um, I spoke briefly about our most important players going into the match. I picked Kovačić, Andres, but before I get into my reasoning, who do you think is going to be the key sort of player in this game? I know you can name a few, but <laughs> let's just try to stick with
1: one. Yeah. So, so before I get to that, I just had one question about your choice for the four triple two. Yeah. Because here's here's my fear with that. Madrid essentially played with four central midfielders, and I'm not sure you get enough natural width in the four triple two when you have Mount, quote unquote, wide and Polisic central, Kai central. The only wide player you're going to get is Ziyech. and we're going to have to tell Reese to chill out because of Vinicius. So my fear is that you, you're asking, you're 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 right on it. We need to cross the ball, we need to get the ball in, but the way I see that happening is with natural width and spreading out that back line they're already going to be at a disadvantage with the size advantage but i think you need to create those gaps by spreading them wide which is why i emphasize the three four three i actually didn't mention this but i say if ballistic if Pulisic doesn't play well at the weekend your front three needs to be mount kai Zesh. zish yeah um but you do need agree. zish in for the crosses for sure especially with reese kind of not being your wing back moving forward. Um, But I think the four triple two is going to get too congested and we're going to be losing that midfield battle um, more often than not. Um, So you, you asked me to go back to the next question. Now, who do I think is our most important player? I still think it's Kai Havertz. I, I think Kai Havertz was, he pulled that header out of nowhere. No other player is going to put their face that close to a defender's cleats, And he was facilitating. He was looking for space. The man is working. And he works at the biggest stage. His best games have been at the biggest stage. So he needs to be one of the main players for us to pull off a miracle at the Bernabeu. He is our big-name player um,
0: in terms of the attack. When we need a big performance from an attacking player, I think he's the first person you call upon in the squad. To kind of back up your point, Andres, I mean, he was he was clearly our bright spot in the game. My man of the match for Chelsea, it's not saying much, but you know his performance was warranted of some praise. You know, and I don't think it's just the attacking aspect. I think it's also, you know, the energy that he just brings up top. Defenders cannot do not have time and space on the ball when Kai's playing center forward. He has this urgency about himself where he presses and closes down quickly and he shuts down those spaces, but his pressing is also intelligent. He uses his size to his advantage a lot, right? Where, you know, he's a very lanky guy. So he'll oftentimes position himself um, in the passing lane. And that alone prevents them from, you know, making the simple pass to progress the ball through the midfield. It wasn't effective in this game as much as we would want it to be. But if we do things right in the second leg, his pressing from the front's going to be big for us it's going to be exponential um i can't argue with that i think i think kai is obviously you know one of if not the most important player i went with kovacic on this one though um representing it's weird you're you're advocating for the 343 three, and i'm advocating for kova um, for, for the back for the yeah exactly right um, but for me, I, I pick Kovacic and I mentioned it earlier. I'm picking Kovacic over Conte. Now you're probably asking why the, what the fuck has Jorginho done to earn his spot in the team? He's been getting blasted on social media, but look at the proof. And you look at N'Golo Conte's stats in the first half against Real Madrid, he didn't put in one single defensive stat on not a block, not an interception, not a clearance, nothing. Um, So if Conte is not out there intercepting the ball, winning possession, just completely disrupting their midfield, we need someone else in there that's going to benefit the team, basically. He wasn't an asset to us at all against Real Madrid. And just to compare him to Kovacic's stats, you know, Kovacic had 40 more touches than Conte did. Um, And, you know, they played the same amount of time. He had a 91% pass completion rate. He won three duels. Um, And he completed a dribble. We know Kovacic has the ability to press forward and break through the lines, and he's probably our most press-resistant player we have altogether. But he's also been our best midfielder this season. That's something that gets overlooked a lot. We oftentimes look at Jorginho and Conte just because they were on a Ballon d'Or shortlist last season. But we're going to talk about underrated footballers in general, it's Kovacic. And you look at his performances, especially in the beginning of the season, where he was finding the final ball and he was you know leading our team in assists and being the catalyst for our attack. If he can get back to that against Real, I think I think we're in with a chance. And I think that's why you have to play a guy like Kovacic. You leave Jorginho in front of in front of you know whatever backline you decide to play. Let him you know be that metronome and you're going to take what you get defensively from him because you're going to go for the attack in this game. I don't think we should sit back whatsoever. So I'm going to go with Kovacic on this one. You know, I just think our whole entire game changed when he came on. He just sort of put everything together, and we were crying out for him in that first half because our ball progression was god-awful. Jorginho would collect the ball, pick his head up, and have no passing options in the midfield, and I think that attributed to his poor performance. You got a guy like Kovacic, always makes himself available for the short ball, and that's right up Jorginho's alley, so if we can mop it up in defense... Jorginho work our metronome, get it to Kovačić, catalyst for our attack. Boom! Now we're a five-headed monster. Kovačić at the base. Um, I don't know. I, I I think you can you could probably name a few players here. You could name Thiago Silva. I think you could name uh, you know Mason Mount if you're going to talk about going for the attack and going for the high press. We just need performances, man. And I think I think the overarching concern. Maybe you can touch on this a bit too. It's it's the individual mistakes that these
1: guys are making. Yeah. Um, I, I, I the thing is, losing losing to Real is not the issue. Yeah. Like the, it's it's the how. I, Christensen, sure, we can pin the two goals in the first half to Christensen. That's fine. But we, it was two to one. It was reachable, and we were getting there. We we had everything going our way to get there. Then Mendy dumbass mistake there's no, no other bonehead stupid selfish dumb goal 3-1 then we get to Lukaku because that's another one Lukaku could have brought us back to just the one goal differential pick take a pick out of which header we're talking about here so tactically the only thing I can blame Tuchel in is the Christensen thing and I don't know if if Either the players didn't understand the press, or he just had a bad pressing scheme. But whoever's at fault, there. Those are the the two things I can point at. And it's just, again, a one goal game is a different story. Two games, two, I mean, two two goals to to dig our, ourselves out of is going to be different, and it's going to be way tougher. Um, that's why, again, I know Conte was bad in this really one. Really bad but Kanté also was had the most man of the matches last Champions League. So in yeah, yeah. So so that's where I'm like if we're going to have to press, if we're going to have to be quick thinking, I Kanté, you can tell him to just get rid of the ball in 3 touches and he will, whether it's forward or sideways whatever, he's not going to look to go backwards. He'll just go to the quickest guy and let them figure out the next part. So I mean the, the goal the Pulisic goal, I mean, he had the assists with Polisic somewhere, whether it was earlier in this tournament or last tournament in transition, like when Conte presses correctly, we benefit offensively. So that's why I still am, am advocating for him to, to get another shot.
0: All I'm going to say is that Jorginho had three assists in his last three games, and he is looking for that ball to Kai specifically. We won't have
1: it's, the patience to to let Jorginho do his thing. That's my fear. I get yeah. it. I get it. He has had the assists. He's finally passing the ball forward. I just think that that's playing into the opponent's hand when we're down two goals before kickoff.
0: If you're going to remove the bias from this argument, right? Because we all fucking love Conte. Um. If this is any other player that we're comparing him to, Jorginho's done it more than Conte has turned that starting spot as of late.
1: I think it just depends on the game plan. Yeah. Like, I think it, Jorginho is a very game plan centric player. That's the thing. You have to play to his skill set. It's not... Yeah, I, I think either way, like, Kovacic has to play. We, we've discussed this multiple times, and I think it was... Piss CFC, whatever his name is on Twitter, his account pointed out the fact that our best midfielder can't play because we have to adjust to the other two midfielders that are usually part of the midfield, too. Yeah, if you put him in with Conte, and that's too forward thinking. I'm not saying that Conte's a juggernaut, but you're thinking pressing from the front, and if you put him in Jorginho, then that's too um, low block let them come at us mentality because we don't have a natural DM. So it's just unfortunate that you're right. The One of the key players that can get us out of this, unfortunately, unless everybody around him plays a perfect game, is playing with a hand tied behind his back.
0: Exactly. Um, this is getting exhausting, all this <laughs> fucking negativity. So let's try and flip the script a little bit get into our real predictions for the actual match. Here's the golden question. Not can we do it, but it's when we do it. Will this potentially be the greatest comeback we've ever had? And I am thinking of Napoli 2012. I just want your take.
1: Yeah, this, this comeback would be far bigger than the Napoli one. It, it. If we manage to beat Madrid in the Bernaval, whether it's a two-goal differential that gets us into pens or whatever, however you want to think it, this is a far bigger deal. There's, there is a giant gap between her- football heritage between Napoli and Madrid. To do it at <laughs> their home when they have, in my opinion, the Ballon d'Or soon-to-be Big, winner. Yeah. They have everything in their court, per se. Yes. Should we accomplish this? Here's here's my take. Here's my prediction. If we pull this off, we're winning the Champions League again.
0: That I think... Is,
1: that's how I see it. If we lose or or, or don't get a big enough lead, it sucks. We shot ourselves in the foot in the first leg. Yeah. Now, if we win... We're winning the whole damn thing. Not an ounce <laughs> of doubt in my head. We beat Madrid. That is enough. Like you make this comeback happen. That is enough fuel to get you your players hyped through December when the World Cup is happening. Like hands down. We beat yeah. Madrid and stay in this tournament. I will not worry about the top four race.
0: I mean, because just like I think what?
1: that would be enough of a catalyst to get us through the rest of the season.
0: I can co-sign that, because look what happened when we won the Champions League. We looked like the best fucking team in the world for the first two and a half months of the season. We were unplayable. Nobody could hold a candle to us. I mean, we, we almost beat Liverpool with ten men. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, look, it's not going to be easy. And and honestly, am I hopeful? Slightly. Um, But I'm going to be honest, I am kind of downbeat on the the performances as of late. So I really, really hope that whatever we see at Southampton uh, is some sort of step in the right direction heading into Madrid. It would just be really nice to go there, have an incredibly solid defensive performance. I don't care if we walk out of there with a 1-0. I just don't want to concede any more goals. We need to give ourselves a chance. Yeah, or two or three. I yeah. we just we just need to give ourselves a chance in the tie. And I don't think we could do that if we concede another goal. You know, yeah, two I, nil, they say a two goal deficit's the most dangerous lead in soccer, right? That's something every single coach you and I have ever had has told us.
1: But a three goal deficit is pretty tough to cut back from, yeah. especially in uh, ninety minutes. So to add to my predictions, I think we get two goals. The question yeah. is, do they score? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm 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 gonna go. Fuck it, man. We gotta be positive, right? This is the <laughs> first ever Blues on Parade episode, so I, I I'm gonna go two 0 Chelsea. I'm gonna go with your prediction, man. Let's keep a fucking clean sheet. Let's keep a lid on Vinicius and cut off the supply line to Benzema, and see what happens. Yeah. Um,
1: I- i i I think two nils very doable i think you see reese james start in the back very back from the beginning Mm -hmm. and you put you talk about shadowing someone put conte on kovacic or not on kovacic excuse me conte on on crows don't let Kroos touch the ball let's see what happens modric will start touching the ball kovacic can handle that they're croatian
0: (laughs) (laughs) croatian on croatian violence i love it um yeah, I mean, that kind of brings us to the end of uh, of this review slash predictions pod. First ever edition, Andres, of the Blues on Parade podcast. I love saying that. It just kind of rolls off the tongue. Um, so if you guys aren't following us, make sure you are. I won't give you the Twitter handle because I'm not sure what it's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> I need to see if Blues on Parade is even available because uh, we still got to, you know, update our picture and everything. As of right now, we're still Romans Empire pod. But... <laughs>
1: At the time um, of recording.
0: Yeah. After we're done recording, we'll officially be the Blues on Parade. So make sure you're following us on Twitter. Keep an eye out for all of our episodes. Guys, if you uh, don't listen to us every week, just to get a quick uh, synopsis, we record after every single match. So you could pretty much bet your bottom dollar that we'll be dropping a pot after every match. Keep an eye out for those. Let us know what you think. Um, and also reach out to us on Twitter. Get a chance to be included on our podcast episodes, just like all of our lovely, lovely ultras that make it every single week um so yeah andres we got a southampton preview to record so uh for those of you that are still listening look out for that and keep the blue flag flying high